There are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things. Things that act against everything we believe in. They must be the Doctor Who podcast. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we're joined by Luke from the Minute Doctor Who podcast. He's here with Tom and myself to review the latest Matt Smith offering, Time of Angels. We'll give our opinions and our thoughts on this episode. This is the Doctor Who Podcast. This is episode nine. Pleasure to have your company here today in the Doctor Who Podcast camper van with me this evening and this morning is Tom. Hello. And as you already know, Luke from the Minute Doctor Who Podcast, or for acronym fans, Twidwip, is here to join us as well. Hello, Luke. Hello, Trev. Hello, Tom. Hello. Good to be here. Unfortunately, James can't be with us today. He has a prior engagement, but we're going to be hearing from him very, very soon because he just couldn't resist sending in his thoughts on Time of Angels for us to uh, have a bit of a listen to. But first, Luke, tell us all about the Minute Doctor Who podcast. Well, it's been uh, it's been running for a couple of years now. I started it when I lived in Russia as a kind of link back to the UK, really. Um, I was feeling a bit homesick, um, got into podcasting, decided to talk about Doctor Who. Um, why wouldn't I? Um, and it's been uh, it's been running for a couple of years. Uh, it's mainly video, completely random, no no uh, real format, so you never know what you're going to get. Very sporadic in its output, um, and uh, also home to the Doctor Who Mastermind competition. Thus far, we've had uh, four different people on. Um, Tony Gallish, one of the Flashing Blade, being the the, the top dog there, and uh, James, your very own James, is coming up soon. Once I've written him some questions, um, so yeah, um, <laughs> can I have a go on that? Find me at um, you can, yeah. I, well, actually, at the moment, I've I've stopped taking submissions because so many people want to um, to do it. So I'll have to add you to the end of a very long list. But yeah, Thank definitely. You. Thank you. Um, but yeah, the place place to find it is. Um, www.tmdwp.co.uk and um, yeah, subscribe from there um, and hopefully I'll be putting out a new episode soon. I did promise that I'd do one yesterday and then things got away from me and uh, and I haven't put one out for about a month now. But it's a lot of fun and uh, it's very short so it's it's not a particular trial to add it to your list of, of podcasts because it's only a few few minutes every few weeks. How does it feel to be at the end of a very long list, Tom? Um, it's it, exactly as it normally does, truth be told. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much uh, situation normal. Exactly so. Anyway, <laughs> first we'll hear from James who sent us in an MP3. Uh, he couldn't resist telling us about uh, Time of Angels. So over to James and his thoughts. Yes, hello there. I'm afraid I'm not there in person this week, but to be honest with you, that gives me a chance to review this week's episode without being interrupted by Trevor Tom. Wonderful! No, in all honesty, I'm actually quite sad not to be reviewing this episode with Trevor and Tom because I think there was so much to talk about. 
First of all, let's start with the bad points. There weren't any. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. This is what I was expecting all along when I first heard that Stephen Moffat was taken over from Russell T Davis. He's meeting the expectations that he's already set. And for me, as good as parts of the 11th hour were and as good as the Beast Below was, this knocked them out the ballpark. This was a very, very strong episode indeed. And it's particularly encouraging after the disappointment or the disappointment for me of Victory of the Daleks. So yes, within the first five or ten minutes, I found my spirits really lifting. I was beginning to think, yes, we are going to see a story here with the same kind of atmospheric, tense feel that previous Stephen Moffat scripts have created so absolutely fantastically well. First of all, I love the opening couple of scenes. I think the Doctor in a museum is absolutely perfect. It seems a natural setting for him. And it actually reminded me a little bit of a scene in Indiana Jones, and I can't even remember which particular scene it was, but it just kind of felt right. The term giddy as a schoolboy seemed very, very apt. He seemed very home there. I love the fact that he was able to interpret High Gallifreyan as Hello Sweetie. And of course, that's just the very first indication that we get throughout the whole story that Riversong knows considerably more about the Time Lords and Gallifrey than we had thought previously or would have expected her to. I'm really glad that this episode didn't answer all of the questions about Riversong and this still isn't the first time that Riversong has met the Doctor and clearly that jars with the Doctor a little bit. It's also interesting because at one point Riversong says that she has photographs or pictures of all of the Doctor's faces and I'm beginning to wonder whether or not this might be a very early attempt at trying to get round the 12 regenerations thing because we know Riversong hasn't met the Doctor in his first nine incarnations. All of his faces I know doesn't actually put a number on how many Doctors she has met but if you apply the logic as set out in The Deadly Assassin, the maximum number of different Doctors Riversong could have seen is 4, 10th, 11th, 12th and 13th. But Mr Moffat may possibly be beginning to imply that there are lots more than just four faces. So, you know, perhaps the Doctor is beginning to find out about his future, about how he might have more than another three regenerations. Anyway, we'll have to wait and see. And I'm probably reading too much into it. I also love the fact that the Doctor forgets to take the handbrake off when he lands in his TARDIS for his first 10 incarnations. Does that mean we're never going to hear the TARDIS materialise and dematerialise again? It's going to be silent from now on? I very much doubt it somehow. I think that was an absolutely fantastic explanation of why the TARDIS makes that kind of noise. But it doesn't actually answer the question why when we've heard other TARDIS, or TARDI if you like, in the classic series they all make the same kind of noise. But perhaps all Time Lords, the Master, the Rani and all of the others simply forget to take the handbrake off before they land. I also love the relationship that seems to be building between the Doctor and Amy in this episode. I think it's fantastic that he just calls her Pond in a very, very affectionate way, where normally, of course, calling someone by their surname wouldn't necessarily be considered that affectionate. I also want to just take a moment to say how fantastic Matt Smith was in this episode. I absolutely bought his portrayal as a Doctor for the very first time this series. And he was the Doctor from the moment we saw him and from the moment those lines were uttered, I thought he was fantastic. Which is kind of ironic 
when you consider that this episode and episode 5 was the first story Matt Smith actually filmed as the Doctor. You may remember all of those press releases and the photographs from the sets of the first day of filming back what seems like ages ago now. I also felt this episode had a kind of Blake 7 feel to it. It was set on an alien planet and on a beach and there were several Blake 7 episodes that were set on a very convincing alien planet around a beach. I just thought it was very very resonant of a Blake 7 episode particularly when you saw the four squaddies who turned out to be members of a, of a church materialise when they teleported onto the planet the feel was that they just beamed down directly from the Liberator. Very very strong Blake 7 feel there. And of course, the elephant in the room, if you like, in this particular episode is River Song, the Doctor's wife. Well, Amy asked that particular question and got an answer. Also, she thought just for a few seconds, along with the rest of the audience at home. I just thought it was a fantastic piece of scripting, the way the Doctor replied to her questions, but in the wrong order. The last thing I want to talk about really in this episode was the absence of a crack. And I'm really very pleased about that. At least it wasn't foisted upon us in a very, very overt way. And it is possible that I may have missed it because I only watched the episode once. So if it was more subtle this time, then I missed it. However, when watching the coming soon trailer, there seems to be a little bit of dialogue in the next episode about the crack. We hear Amy talking about the crack on her bedroom wall again. So perhaps this crack or this story arc is going to be tackled and addressed before the last two episodes of the series. And that will be quite novel for a story arc since Doctor Who returned in 2005. We'll have to wait and see whether we're going to learn just a little bit more about it or whether we are going to find out a lot more. Anyway, can't wait to see next week's episode. I very much look forward to talking and reviewing part two of this story next week. In the meantime, I'll hand you back over to Tom, Trev and Luke, who I'm certain is doing an absolutely sterling job filling my shoes. Hopefully not too good, though. Speak to you next week. Bye for now. Well, that's, it's good news that James actually liked that episode. That's brilliant. Finally, finally. Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> but do, do you know, he's right, he's right. After last week, it's lovely to see a return to form. And there were a couple of, there were a couple of things about the episode, actually. I should, ask you, I should ask you both as well what you thought. Um, but I, I think, for me, the thing that threw me a little bit last week was the speed and pace of it. Um, and the scale and the scale of uh, victory of the Daleks, I found it very, I found it a little bit too quick and a little bit too closed in. Where this uh, time of angels felt the pacing was a lot more relaxed, although everything was moving, the momentum built up really, really nicely in a way that I was familiar with from old Doctor Who pacing. I don't want to get away from talking about the actual show, but very briefly, what I felt with uh, with victory of the Daleks was that it felt like for. 12 minute episodes all pushed into an hour where this felt more like two 24 or 25 minute episodes put into the space which is exactly how Doctor Who used to be built on top of which you've got this great expanse of a planet and these huge great caverns and the uh, contrast between great open spaces and very, uh, and, very, and very small claustrophobic spaces. So it just felt more complete, almost like a big movie to me. I, I don't know, what did you think? I agree, I agree. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting you make comparisons to last week's story mm. um, because there's such an incredible quantum shift in structure just at a very base level between Victory of the Daleks and Time of Angels. Mm. Um, Victory of the Daleks, we had the setup, what, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, mm. and then it kicked in with the new Daleks and them finally showing their true colours, blah, 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 blah. Mm. 
And then that all finished by about the 35-minute mark and we had like a 10-minute downtime towards the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really, really sort of stuttered feel to the episode, I felt. But Time of Angels, mm. it gets, I suppose, a lot of the setup done in the pre-credit sequence of all places. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as yeah. the episode starts, it hits the ground running mm. and it doesn't let up for the entire episode. I mean, we, we even end on, I think, one of the more interesting points for a cliffhanger that I've seen in a very, very long time. I agree with you both. Uh, I think that uh, Victory of the Daleks was very rushed. Slightly strange seeing as it finished at about 42 minutes and they could have had a few more scenes to, to um, kind of lengthen it out a bit. And and even with this, Time of Angels was, it was another short one again. Mm. But it had that much gentler pace just because it's got two episodes to play with. Mm. Um, and and it, felt, it felt much more measured and, uh, and, and sure of itself, really, moving forward. And, and hopefully next week we'll um, fill out the remainder of it and, uh, and, and it'll be a worthy, as you say, movie-length um, episode. Exactly so. But I liked, <clears throat> obviously it's one of those things you kind of notice on the second viewing maybe, but I looked and exactly halfway through was the, the, the sub-cliffhanger of Karen, uh, Amy, being in the airlock with the angel coming through. It's almost bang on halfway. And if the episode had finished there, that would have been a, cl- the, a, a good cliffhanger for a classic series episode um, that it resolved itself nicely. And again, with, you know, doing a great bit of character building for uh, Karen um, was, was, mm-hmm. was wonderful because then it's like, okay, up to the middle and down again. And we, and, and we get the build up to the, the, to the second and final, less of a cliffhanger, but a good point, a point at which to exit the episode, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's why I found it s- such a fascinating point because I think the temptation must have been perhaps to do it like they did with Blink back in series three, that an obvious cliffhanger would have been, say, the, you know, Amy whisked off by an angel or, or, or Amy turning into an angel, as, as she already seems to be mm. in, in this mm-hmm. story. But what they've ended up with is they've ended up on a point where it's not a true Doctor in Peril cliffhanger, but it's, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next type of cliffhanger. Yeah. And and it's so frustrating. I mean, I, I, it's one of the rare times I sat there and yelled at my screen, <laughs> why is it ending now? Why now? Because you were just getting into it. It, it was really flowing back up again. Mm. And then the credits roll. You go, oh, no, don't mm. do this to me. And that, for me, is a perfect cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, from the opening scenes of, of River's wonderful, beautiful red shoes, thumping along that corridor in time to the music, <laughs> um, it, was, it was all about pacing and all about momentum. I mean, it, it was... It, I was hooked from the first couple of seconds because because you know you've got this this wonderful situation as James Riley just said the doctor in his correct environment in a church stroke museum being the doctor and I loved I loved that little scene of him picking up the the, the home box and running for the TARDIS I do keep saying I see so much Troughton in it because I, I I do love Patrick Troughton but there's there's so much of it in there in these early days. Again, you mentioned a mistake with me. Oh, big, big mistake. Really huge. Didn't anyone ever tell you there's one thing you never put in a trap if you're smart, if you value your continued existence, if you have any plans about seeing tomorrow, there's one thing you never, ever put in a trap. And what would that be, sir? Yeah, and, and what a long pre-credit sequence that was. I mean, it was almost five minutes in before mm. the credits mm. actually kicked in. <clears throat> Agreed. You'd almost forgotten that you hadn't had them. <laughs> I thought that whole whole sequence is absolutely beautiful. And the way they cut it in with um, the the scenes of the Doctor and Amy at, at the museum. Mm. And James is right in his little pre-record. It feels very Indiana Jones. Yeah. And like in Indiana Jones, the Doctor looks so at home 
in a museum, pottering about, mm-hmm. running from one glass enclosure to another, <laughs> looking, oh, that's not right, that's wrong, that's mine. That, that was absolutely beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, agreed. Well, m- mind you, I suppose Matt's costume does look a lot like um, Indy's costume from the, the, the last film, that, with, what, what with the bow tie and the tweed and everything. <laughs> And it's a wonderful thing that Stephen Moffat does with a certain subset of his scripts and certainly ones involved with River and ones involved with the Angels that he plays with time, Yeah, that he, he plays with our concept of time. Where else but a Stephen Moffat script where would you have a title card that said 12,000 years later? I mean, <laughs> where else would you see something like that? That was incredible. And the, the story still held together. You looked at that title card and went, oh, my goodness, what is this? Ooh. The way they cut between them was absolutely fluid. It was fantastic. Again, in this story, there seems to be an awful lot of indications of Doctor Who being made by by competent fans for an, for an eager audience. I love that the reference to Old High Gallifrey, and you know, that's what puts, makes me smile inwardly, because I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, you both got that little scene of um, uh, Patrick Trout and John, uh, John Pertwee and William Herndall from The Five Doctors going, well, f- few people understand this, but fortunately I do, which I thought was particularly... Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What intrigues me mostly is that there's an old high Gallifreyan word for sweetie. I mean, uh. yeah. <laughs> that's what floors me. We, we now start with with the deepening mystery of River Song, don't we? Because mm. she she knows old high Gallifreyan. She knows how to fly the TARDIS. Maybe she was taught by the Doctor. Maybe she wasn't. Who the heck is she? I mean, this this kind of mm. mystery mm. of is she the is she the Doctor's wife? No, that would be too simple. Like, who the heck is she? The idea that if if the Doctor finds out who she is. She'll go back to prison. Why? It's it's not like Stephen Moffat's suddenly clearing up the mystery of who she is. He's kind of deepening it, and I I was I was really kind of happy about that. That it's not suddenly like okay, we've introduced her in Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead. Now when she comes back, we're going to suddenly explain it all. No, no, no. This is going to be an ongoing thing as long as Moffat has a hand in the show. Mm. I think um, we're reading a lot into it. Um, I mean, for me, the whole River Song Doctor relationship is is a lot more simple that they have a very, very, very deep friendship, probably even very close to love, and the, and they're encountering each other, whether by accident or by, on purpose, throughout their various time streams, to, to then start layering onto it, oh, are they going out, are they married, all that sort of thing. I, I think the whole thing with that prison comment early on was that River is desperate for the, for the Doctor not to find out that particular part of her life because it would betray um, his trust in her and... I think we, we've seen in the past where um, characters have, have done that sort of thing. They've had that deep, dark secret. And the doctors dropped him like a school case, basically. He said, I, I want nothing more to do with you anymore. And I mm-hmm. think it could be that case with River. It's just in the last um, couple of scenes, there's River dressed in the... Um, what's I'm looking for? Sorry, there's, there's River dressed in her military fatigues and she's in handcuffs. So she's going to prison. Is it you know so that, oh. and, that, and that's definitely something in the second episode. She stood there um, in handcuffs. The doctor's got his jacket off and his sleeves rolled up, just looking at her kind of in a very disappointed way. I, I, I didn't even notice that in the next no, time trailer. Neither did to, I, to be honest. So <laughs> I was still busy too, busy screaming at my screen. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a theory about Je- about River though, but there, there are two things. Um, number one, it may not be it, you know St- Stephen Moffat may and Russell T Davis may be complicit in rewriting a little bit of canon, which they did with the, the story of the master, you know, um, and, and which they can do. And they're very skilled writers, so they can do it. It may be that River is someone that we have, that we have met before through the thread of the, of the 40 years of Doctor Who, but we just don't know who she was in the same way as that apparently the master could hear those drums all the time. Um, 
But I, my personal theory, which sort of popped into my head this morning after after a bit of coffee, was that River could well be Jenny. It would explain an awful lot very quickly and very simply. I've heard that theory going back to when when they were both obviously because we had Jenny in episode six mm-hmm. and and River Song later in series four. Like that theory's been going around since then. I've, mm-hmm. I've, heard, I've seen mm-hmm. it and heard it on forums. Oh, okay, I didn't know. It, it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I don't know. I I I I don't know. I. Is she the Rani? Don't start with that um, stuff. I've seen that already. Jeez. <laughs> oh. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, I mean, again, it goes back to what I said before. It, it would disappoint me if they start complicating it. I, yeah. I think we, we have to trust in Stephen Moffat that he's not going to make this, uh, to, to use a cliche, RTD complicated. Um, yeah. that, that, that we're going to have, hopefully, eventually, a nice explanation, but not something, oh, she's, you know, the doctor's daughter, or she's the Rani, yeah. and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, again, though, it would explain an awful lot, because if she shared the doctor's DNA, that would explain how she knew so much about him, like his real name, etc., his preferences, how to talk to him, the old high Gallifrey. It, it, would, it, it would be a very simple, yet satisfying explanation, but all we can do is wait and see. I mean, I like the telegraphing of the... Um, of, the, of a potential future adventure as well. I mean, in, when we were at Silence of the Library, Forest of the Dead, we got uh, Crash of the Byzantium. Has that happened yet? And there was the ship Byzantium crashing. Um, and then she's looking through the diary again and says, have we done the Biomeadows yet? And I'm like, great, Biomeadows, what's that? <laughs> Immediately <laughs> leaping forward and I'm like, all right, cool, I'm ready. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, again, a very, uh, sorry, I'm leaping about, leaping about a little bit. But I, I, I love the fact that if you do watch the show maybe a second time, it's very rewarding because you do notice more things. For instance, um, the, the, the museum that the Doctor and Amy first arrive in, or that we, where we find the Doctor and Amy the first time around, is apparently the last resting place of the headless monks. And, oh, look, we've got the clerics, um, so few of them. Uh, on the planet when they arrive, so I wonder if there's a tie in there. Is there something? Is there something? To, you know, we've, we've had the reference to two heads as well. Could, you know, are we going in a, in a nice big Moffat style loop in that respect? Well, I mean, if, if if we've learned anything from Stephen's writing, that he he sets stuff up now that may not pay off for years, <laughs> um, whether it's through his own scripts or whether it's now that he's showrunner that 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 he can seed all this sort of stuff throughout any story he he wants to really. So excellent. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, do, do, do you th- do you think the fact that he's he's using so many of his old plot devices over and over again? Do you think that cheapens the story, or do you think the way that he's using them again is 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 just showing how clever he is? Um, I I did have a little twinge watching this that I was noticing things that I've seen in Blink and that I've seen or heard in Silence in the Library. Um, the the slight use of the repeating phrases, the Talking to the enemy over a communicator type of field, which which we got towards the end of Time of Angels, um, the the whole playing with time, like this isn't the first meeting for them both because they're all out of sync. I think that we're getting such a wonderfully crafted story here that those sort of um, I don't know little twinges passed for me very quickly because they're used in an intelligent way. Yeah, and yeah. and 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 I think in a very different way to the way the previous production team would have used them. I think it. I, 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 I'm, I'm with Trev. I think it builds a syntax, though. I think it, it, it builds a language between the storyteller and the audience. Um, Trev's absolutely right. I, 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 feel, I see an awful lot of, of Planet of the Dead, uh, sorry, Silence of the Light, Silence of the Light in the Library, uh, and Forest of the Dead, Voices from Beyond the Grave, Missing Soldiers, Lots of Darkness, all that sort of thing. But that I understand the way the story is told just makes it that bit more enjoyable, to be honest. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I hear, I hear mm. what you're saying. But you know, but again, Doctor Who's replete with that. If we think of um, 
yeah. Death to the Daleks versus um, uh, Pyramids of Mars. I think the episode four of both of those is, is identical. Do you know? <laughs> but beg, beg, what? <laughs> well, that, 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 no, you, 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 I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. You are. You are. It's a very, very similar setup. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Trev, you know, you know this. Um, Doctor's trapped, trapped in a, in a big puzzle, and he has to work his way through it, even complete with strange, even complete with, complete with strange charged floor. It's, it's, it's exactly the same story, or at least exactly the same set of, of things in the same episode. But like I say, I like That's it. Episode three. Thanks a lot for that. Cheers. Uh, that's episode three. Cool. I'll edit no, this video, it, but it's episode it, three. <laughs> it's both. There you go. Because <laughs> the because the cli- the cliffhanger for episode three of Death of the Daleks is the whole. Oh, there's a strange floor. <laughs> oh, so there's a big of, checkerboard on the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's written the yeah, time. Speaking of bad cliffhangers, yes. <laughs> oh, do, do, yeah. I Trev, this goes back. It goes. It goes back to. I've got to be careful not to be too self-referential, but it goes back to something that you said about the way that the ABC uh, cut. The two doctors in half, with with odd cli- with odd cliffhangers at one point, and because I think when I when I saw the, the first cliffhanger, the, the second cliffhanger yesterday with the doctor going me and firing at the ceiling, I thought, is that a good cliffhanger? And I immediately thought of your thing where the, the doctor uh, Colin Baker is talking to a computer, and the, and, and yeah, the story ends yeah. on it threatened the Time Lords. Bang. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that 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 was because Doctor Who was pumping out forty-five minute episodes back then in the mid '80s, but mm. the ABC still wanted to show them in twenty-five minute slots, so we got some really, really, really weird cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. But I I think in this case it really works, and I think it works not because it's particularly spectacularly good, but it's different in a good way. Mm. That we're not getting, I think, a traditional cliffhanger with the Doctor and his companions and uh, associated team in direct peril. Mm. We're like, um, it's like watching an episode of 24 or something, for example, with the clock ticking down, that that we're reaching a certain point, but then it's going to be resolved in the next hour. Yeah. And and I think we're getting that a little bit with Doctor Who, that we're, we're watching one long hour and a half episode. Yeah. And we just happen to have a, a credit sequence in the middle. I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've got to ask. James mentioned the, po- um, the point about uh, Matt Smith's portrayal of the Doctor, um, and as I'm sure most people know, this was the first thing that he recorded in role. Um, I was kind of blown away by how incredibly confident and assured, and, t- and how well he just oh, grabbed hold of it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well you, you, you tell me, what, what did you make of his portrayal? Well, it, it's it's a tricky one for me because I haven't been as grabbed by Matt Smith as I would have liked to have been so far in the series. Okay. Um, I mean, I thought he was brilliant in The Eleventh Hour, and then for, for whatever reason, he just wasn't doing it for me in uh, in Beast Below and, and Victory of the Daleks, mm. um, which is which is strange, because I, I grew up in the, the VHS era of the show, and so the Doctor for me was whoever we bought next on video, and so <laughs> th- this, whole thing of, this whole thing of having a, a, a new Doctor has never, ever been a problem for me. I have not had a problem accepting the new guy, mm. and yet for some reason it hasn't quite come with Matt Smith, and I, I really don't know what that is, but, but I, like, like you, I, I found his performance very much assured. I mean, this is the first thing he shot, and he's just... He's, he, he, he seems to be following on directly from the three episodes previous that he's not yet recorded in his own mm. timeline, as it were. Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 found that, uh, I found that excellent. And I, and I think, um, yeah, this episode, he, he did seem to, to nail it for me more. And, and maybe that's just because it's the fourth episode we've seen and I'm just gradually warming to him. Um, but I, I thought he, he put in a, a, a great performance, definitely. I do agree with you, Luke, definitely. I, I wasn't that thrilled with his performance in Victory, for example. I mean, I said that last week on the show. Um, but we, we've talked, I think, ever since the DWP came into being about all the different doctors 
that Matt is drawing upon. And I think two of the main ones we've centred on um, that he, he seems to be drawing inspiration from are the second and the fifth. Mm. And in this episode, I saw that in absolute spades. Um, that stuff where they were watching the angel on the screen at the beginning with the doctor slipping on the bandage that he was trying to hold onto, like some sort of rail bus um, <laughs> mm-hmm. holder, and, and it broke in his hand. That seemed to be very second doctor, you know, like a doctor that touches things and they break. That yeah. that was very Patrick yeah. Troughton. Um, I, I found a lot of scenes in the TARDIS with the Doctor being annoyed at his companions and and at River to be very Fifth Doctor because I think that's one of the characterizations of the Fifth Doctor that's often ignored. We we see stories like Enlightenment, for example, during the uh, Fifth Doctor era. The Doctor spends a lot of the story barking at his companions in his own way. He's he's not very happy that they're there, and mm-hmm. I think Matt's drawing on a lot of that. We're we're seeing a lot of the petulant annoyance that the mm-hmm. fifth doctor had the 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 what, sometimes ineffectual anger that that uh davison displayed well it's kind of reminiscent of the beginning of Earthshock. Mm. Um, oh, with yeah, that whole yeah. that whole that whole that whole tardis scene between the the two the two women saying make it up to Andrick kind of thing and that whole argument boiling out oh. and then and th- this kind of nicely segues into the rest of the episode I th- the the episode very much reminded me of episode one of Earthshock yeah. with the whole exploring the caves and I was thinking if only Earthshock had been made on this budget I mean yes. Earthshock's brilliant as it is but how much better would it have been I, I think I think what you what you were saying about him him drawing on the second and the fifth Doctor might actually explain the root of my unease because if 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 you if you push me I will probably go for Troughton and Davison being my my top two in terms of Doctors. Mm. And so to see someone kind of carrying that on, they have to be very, very good in my eyes to 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 pull that performance off. Mm. And Matt mm. Smith's doing a stonkingly good job of it, but he's got, in my eyes, very high standards to live up to. But he's doing it. His his, his performance seems to have, um, as you, as you know, Trevor, as you're both saying, a good amount of those two previous performances in it. But there's just enough of him. This whole bandy-legged, very awkwardly physical thing that he does he's got he's also got his own phrasing which is which, which is growing on me as well and it's astonishing to watch someone doing this artistic thing as you say out of sequence because if this was the first thing he's shot he's shot it's like he's gone away decided what his character is going to be delivered it on day one and then built up to it uh, over, over, over subsequent recordings because it's, it's really really good it, i suppose it's like anything artistic though you know the, the more you do it the more confident you get but it's like from day one he's just gone right this is what it's gonna this is where i'm gonna go with it which makes me really look forward to next week and the next and the next six and seven weeks too do you know wrong wrong bit right mostly wrong I love museums. Yeah, great. Can we go to a planet now? Big spaceship, Churchill's bunker. You promised me a planet next. Amy, this isn't any old asteroid. It's the Delirium Archive, the final resting place of the Headless Monks. The biggest museum ever. You've got a time machine. What do you need museums for? Wrong! Very wrong. Oh, one of mine. Also one of mine. Oh, I see. It's how you keep score. You you mentioned before about this reminding you of Earthshock. I, I found this episode reminded me of the uh, classic series in general yeah. it mm. and 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 i really think it's down to the pacing and it probably almost annoyed me to a certain extent when matt smith started speeding up with his talking so i thought no mate slow down slow down this is a classic <laughs> series style story slow down mate you've got plenty of time um but yeah. just the whole pacing with the setup and the team entering the catacombs or caves or whatever you want to call it um really really felt like i was watching something 
from you know the last century, basically. It does. I mean, it settles you down so that you can be scared. Um, I, I, okay, so do you know what? I'm, I'm, getting, I'm not getting on, but I'm, I'm old enough to know that I'm watching a fiction. And it's lovely when something takes the time to draw you in. Um, we know the angels yeah. move when you don't look at them, but when, they, when it first flickered about on the screen, it's like, oh, it, it actually made me jump. You know, one of the joys of Doctor Who is that it can return you to a state of being like eight and ten years old and just building this little world around you if it takes its time. Um, Trev, I don't know if, you, if I, I'm not going to get into how you consume the show, but the, the thing that most annoyed me about yesterday's transmission was that there was a, a, a banner for the for the program that was coming up next flashed across oh, the screen. Wasn't that so annoying? Oh, God. During um, was it right towards the end? There there was some. Edward Norton thing that flashed across the bottom of the screen or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gra- Graham it, Norton strikes again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some, 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 some little caricatured bobbing head mm. that was on the bottom, and I was trying to ignore it, and and it was during a really intense scene. Yeah, yeah. And and I went, oh god, what are they doing this for? And and then of course we have the normal scrunched up credits at the end now, which which really really annoyed me. Yeah, mm. it, it it I I, yeah. I hate it. I mean. The BBC is supposed to be like our ABC. It's supposed to be non-commercial. I mean, you, you think it would be the yeah. last area you, you would see this sort of mm. commercialism, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 fortunately, I, I, I watch it on iPlayer because cool. I don't have a TV licence, so so didn't watch it live, just watched it immediately after, after the broadcast with my housemates. Mm. And it's just so much better because you know on iPlayer you're not going to get any of the voiceovers you're not going to get any scrunched up credits you're going to get the episode as it should be broadcast if if this daft competition wasn't going on and so to see on twitter afterwards all this anger coming out from from everybody who'd watched it live on bbc one i was really glad to have seen it the way that i saw it without that annoyance of having the cliffhanger ruined by that Mm -hmm. again moffat well bring this back a little bit to the angels um i love that stephen moffat can make innocuous things frightening um, you know, we, in the, in, the, in episode one, we had a, a crack in the, a crack in your wall can be scary because a giant eye might look th- might look through it. Um, a lift in episode two, we've got a lift might be scary, and now we have this wonderful thing where a reminder that statues in graveyards, which are frightening in themselves anyway, may just be transdimensional beings from oh. the other side of the universe. Brilliant, scary, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I I have two children who have not not watched really violent movies because they're only eight and, and eleven. Uh, but but they've watched their fair share of PG and M rated movies. The only thing in Doctor Who that scares them in any way, shape, or form is the angels. Um, we we rewatched Blink last night. I mean, how many people out there rewatched Blink before they watched Time of Angels? Hands up! Come on. Um, <laughs> we rewatched Blink, and I literally had one of my children cowering behind the seat in genuine fear. But he 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 doesn't do that for anything else. Um, yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think it's the innocuous everyday things when they're turned into these malevolent forces that are the most scary. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Plus, Karen does a really good job of reminding us to be scared. I mean, Doctor Who has a tendency towards melodrama anyway, but if you watch, you know, watching that scene with her in the, in the little airlock thing, um, she, she's doing a great example, doing a great job of showing us how scared she is and reminding us that we should be a bit scared as well, frankly. Because, um, you know, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just on a TV. It can't get me. No, it comes out of the TV. <laughs> Particularly when you're not yeah. looking. I, mean, I, I, I thought that was a that was a brilliant piece of acting from her, mm. um, and uh, really, really showing that she she can act. Mm. I mean, again, I haven't been entirely convinced by her 
so far, and and I think in this episode, and again, surprisingly, the first one they shot, I think both of them have really come into their own for me. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and that that scene, because um, you're not expecting you're not expecting that to happen. You're thinking, okay, they're they're safe. It's only a recording, and suddenly ratcheting up the tension and um and as you, as you were saying before tom perfect cliffhanger karen gillen for me i think has given her best performance so far this season and although she's probably not consciously doing it i i really felt she was um channeling the joe grant companion in this i, I really got vibes of katie manning watching her in this i mean especially in that bit where they're all getting assigned tasks and she's standing there going does anyone want me to do anything yeah anyone <laughs> Anyone? I, I really had yeah. a great vibe of the 1970s there with like Joe Grant sitting on the side of some, you know, 70s bus or something like that asking what she could do. Um, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> In fact, you know what? You're absolutely right. Can we get, um, for anyone that hasn't yet, go and get the Myths and Legends box set. Watch the first episode of The Time Monster. Katie Manning doing doing a brilliant Amy, sorry, Amy, uh, Katie and Amy, exactly the same thing. One of them, yes. b- both of them saying, Doctor, here it is. And Doctor going like, what, 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 what? <laughs> And again, I mean, it, it's it's amazing that this is the first story that that they filmed. She's really hit the ground running, I think. Do you know? I I, yeah. I love it when Doctor Who does this because it it does actually confirm absolutely which which Stephen Moffat knows. Of course, he does. But they know what they're doing. I mean, one of the things that's that's a little bit frustrating sometimes is when you see fan reaction to things that haven't happened yet. Um, you know, my, my favourite example of that was the casting of Catherine Tate. Uh, what you know, in a, a, a couple of years ago, people going mental, going, "She can't be in Doctor Who. She's not, you know, she it, it's it's not a comedy. It's not a farce." Forgetting, of course, that Karen Tate is one of the most talented comedic actresses of her generation, and to be and to be comedy, mm. you need to be very very good. Um, so you know, so with, with things yeah. like, "Oh, he's too young. She's too young. It's going to be Twilight. It's going to be Scooby Who." Um, it's like no, these are seasoned television professionals who know what the hell they're doing. So when they when they put the show together, it'll be exactly what you want. Can you just pipe down? Mind you, I suppose that's the fun of being a fan of a show. You can. <laughs> oh, oh, the only other thing I've got to mention here, because again, I, I think well, we I, I love the idea that Stephen Moffat is a very tidy writer. But Luke, I think you're right. He might, he's got a long history of, of playing with fans' heads. Um, uh, but was the mention of the fifty first century. Um, which immediately just sent, sent bells ringing and lights flashing, going like Jack, Jack, Jack. So I where's know. where's Captain Jack? Exactly. And where's the butcher of Brisbane? Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Where's mm. Magnus Greel? Where's yeah. Magnus Greel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, I I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'll be I'll be totally straight. I mean, I'm pleased that um, this week's episode is a return to form because it's what I recognise as Doctor Who. Uh, you know, it, it looked. It looked like Doctor Who. It moved like Doctor Who, and because the setting and context and syntax was so familiar to me, it was a lot easier to accept Matt. If you see what I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm like I'm like I'm rejecting him, but because everything else around him was so familiar and comfortable and <laughs> Doctor Who like, what can I tell you? It was so it was easier to say right, and that is the Doctor, and see how he moved, see how he was similar, and see how he was different as well. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to the cup to to next week. Gotta say. Is River Song your wife? Could she's someone from your future? The way she talks to you, I've never seen anyone do that. She's kind of like you know, heel boy. She's Mrs. Doctor from the future, isn't she? Is she gonna be your wife one day? Yes. You're right. I am definitely Mr. Grumpy Face today. 
All right, well, let's let's try yeah. and end, end this. I mean, I'm not trying to end this on a negative, but because we've been so positive about this <laughs> as we've been watching, is there anything about the episode that you went, no, I didn't like that? Um, the... <clears throat> I, I, I had to I had to hold back a little bit with the idea of the army being the church because that 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 really sort of presses my semiotics buttons because I'm thinking oh look at that we've got the church as the military but doing battle against the angels is this the, you know it, it's a nice setting of good and evil is it a bit like the impossible planet the Satan pit so I, I I'm reserving judgment on what's going on with the with the church being the military. I suspect it'll be significant, but I don't see why it's important just yet. But I've learned to understand Stephen Moffat well enough to go like, okay, we'll just let it come and see what happens. I, I was a, slight, a little annoyed, I have to say, by that and the the little kind of snidey little comments when they're talking about the, uh, the two-headed... Um, the two-headed, whatever the the people on the planet are called, yeah, uh, the, and the whole marriage thing, and 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 it's just like we get enough of of, of this of, of what's going on in the church in the news uh, as it is without our, our, our TV shows, um, fantastical TV shows, having to kind of reference it every every moment. Mm. Um, I, I had enough of that with the RTD era, and I, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I think Moffat hasn't quite hasn't quite moved on. Mm. Um, but but again, they're both well known for their their atheistic position, mm. and and so they 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 they're obviously going to use the show to push that if they, if they so choose. Well, do you know the only thing that annoyed me? Go, on. go on. The handbrake. Because <laughs> <laughs> James mentioned it in his little pre-record, saying, "Well, if this was what happens to the Doctor's TARDIS, then the Master and the Rani and the Time Lords also leave the handbrake on as well." But then I also yeah. thought, "Well, so do the Daleks as well when they had their you know little TARDISes, and so do the um, people in the War Games when they had their uh, Sidrats. They yeah. left the handbrake on as well. So kind of riled me that it it flies in the face of." Canon and logic that ah ah ah, but does it because inter- interestingly, I mean, I, I've I've been watching a few uh, uh, series one episodes again recently, and and in a lot of the early Hartnell stories, the TARDIS materializes without making a noise. Just that little bong sound that we heard. Bong, we've arrived. Definitely, definitely, the keys of Marinus and Planet of the Giants, at least those those off the top I can think of. When the, we see the TARDIS materialize from the outside, it doesn't make a noise; it just appears mm. silently on a beach or in a crack in the paving. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm on the whole. I'm with you, Trev. In, in, in that, as, as funny as that line was, when you break it down, it doesn't make any sense at That's all in right, the context yeah. of the history it, of the show. It annoys the pedantic list-making fan inside me. It really does. Plus, <laughs> yeah. if, if, plus, if we if we go back to um, Romana one and two, uh, and them taking control of the TARDIS, the noise was there as well. And in fairness, that so yeah. I think it's a very, I think it's a very throwaway thing. Um, the, mm, it is. It is. The river is familiar with the TARDIS console at this point. When, when they meet, it also in, is, is interesting as well. Very interesting. But then, of course, it's interesting. I want to watch more of it. Do you know what? I feel more comfortable this week <laughs> being a Doctor Who fan than I did at the end of last week. Because absolutely, you know, last week's episode was. Don't get me wrong, Mark Gatiss, you're, you're a genius. Of course, I know you listen. Um, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I'm sure it, it, on paper it, it was a wonderful episode. It's just it left me. Feeling like it, like Doctor Who wasn't for me anymore. This, on the other hand, says you know, Luke, exactly as you say, there's shades of Earthshock in there, shades of uh, Revenge of the Cybermen in there, bit of five, bit of two, enough to keep everything a bit a bit of ten as well. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much happier being a Doctor Who fan and feeling. I, I feel like I like. A, I was worried. I thought I got too old for it last week. But now, no, fine. It, I'm, I'm still, I'm still a fan of the correct show. Well, okay. Well, all, all I'll say but, to round out this review is one word of caution. We remember how excited and how thrilled we were with the Daleks and Manhattan episode. But remember what the episode was the week after that. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'll say. So, but I'm hoping we're wrong. The next time trailer looks fantastic. Um, the the scenes at the end of the confidential, which show a few more glimpses from the next episode, um, look really good too. Mm. Um, so I'm just hoping we're not going to have a repeat of that. A fantastic first episode. And uh, mm, what were they thinking second episode? Doctor, how come she can fly the TARDIS? You call that flying the TARDIS, ha? Okay. I've mapped the probability vectors, done a fallback on the temporal isometry, charted the ship to its destination, and parked us right alongside. Parked us? You haven't landed? Of course we've landed. I just landed her. But it didn't make a noise. What noise? No, the... It's not supposed to make that noise. You leave the brakes on. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant noise. I love that noise. Well, if, if you downloaded this episode expecting three different people to say three different totally things, well then, sorry guys um, <laughs> to disappoint you. It sounds like we're definitely all on the same page. We're all actually on the totally same book as far as uh, Time of Angels is concerned. A, a rollicking, fantastic, classic series-themed type episode with some fantastic performances, um, great special effects, and a lot of promise for the uh, episode next week. So, yeah. Um, Luke, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, uh, standing in for James. been a pleasure. Uh, I've enjoyed being here. Awesome, awesome. And I think we're getting you back um, later in the season for one of our fan reaction episodes too. So, yeah. Uh, if you like Luke, he'll be back. And and if you like me, in the meantime, head over to tmdwp.co.uk. Indeed, indeed. And Tom, and I'll be there. And Tom, a pleasure as always. Thank you, KBO. You're not going to run that with the whole season, are you? Watch me. <laughs> oh dear. Well, on that note, we'll say goodbye to you all. Um, please send in your feedback to feedback at the doctorpodcast.com. MP3s are preferred. In fact. I'm kind of thinking that the only thing we'll use now are MP3s, guys. Um, we're, we're getting so many audios in now that I think we can pretty much run our feedback episodes with nothing but audio. So um, if you want to get your voice heard on the Doctor podcast, um, MP3s are the way to go. If you have any problems trying to record your voice or you need any tips, please um, email us in. I'm sure we can help you out to get your uh, golden voice recorded and sent in to us here at the show. Uh, farewell to all. We'll be uh, back in a couple of short days to look at the fan reaction to Time of Angels and we'll see if we can find one person on the internet that didn't like Time of Angels. See you all very soon, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was the Doctor Who podcast. But before we go, Luke has something else he wants to share with us. Luke? 
Yeah, in a couple of weeks, I'll be running the Bristol 10K race for charity. We're, we're raising money for uh, three um, causes. We're looking to help um, the needy in Zimbabwe, where um, the situation is still pretty dire with their economy and, and the government and everything. Uh, stop the Traffic, who are looking to obviously stop human trafficking, which is the second largest illegal trade in the world. And then we're looking at helping some some charities that work here in Bristol, which is where I live. And um, I'm aiming to raise £500. Um, so far, I've got to up, up to about 230 $240. And if I raise the £500 in the next two weeks, I will be running the race wearing a uh, replica Tom Baker scarf from Series 12. So if you if you if 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 you fancy seeing that, um, and 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 obviously if you want to support those those charities, then head over to uh, justgiving dot I think it's dot co dot uk forward slash Luke hyphen Harrison zero. Um, I'm sure Trev can put a, a link in the show notes to that. Um, Indeed, I can. Yes. And um, yeah, um, look forward to uh, having your support. Yeah, so please, guys. He hasn't got very far to go. Just another what 170 pounds or whatever it is so please yeah. send in your money for this incredibly worthy cause um the dwp is right behind you mate as long as we get a photo yeah i'm i'm going to get get a few people kind of following along getting some uh, getting some good uh, record of it um and uh, i'm running it with with my church there's a whole bunch of us 600 of us together so they'll be documenting the whole day i'm sure i'll appear within that and i can uh, let you know when that's all done well tom and i'll put in some money um so it's it's now over to you listeners um let's get it up to that 500 pounds guys that was the doctor who podcast which you can find at the doctor who podcast.com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at the doctor who podcast.com You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. Mind you, I suppose that's the fun of being a fan of a show. You can. Two seconds. Hold, yeah. hold on. Two seconds. Thank you. All right. What, <laughs> what was that? My kids are going slightly bonkers next door. So I, ah. I thought that, that's that's my subtle way of saying. I thought you were stamping on a funnel web. Yeah. <laughs> now nah, I'm just getting well, one I... of those drop bears, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I just heard someone. Uh, Slammed a toilet door, which means I, I think we can probably expect a flush from my end shortly. Okay. <laughs> as long as there's not a red back on the toilet seat, mate.